Hello, listeners. I'm Mark Morell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and this is the Carrier's Edge podcast. I am joined today by my special guest, Jane Jazarawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge. Who's not really that special of a guest because she's always here. I but am always here. I got in here. trouble for not doing the opening properly, for going too slow on the opening. So I'm going to start by getting it right off the top there, who I am and what this is. And this in is In case it. you didn't read the title of the podcast before you clicked play, in case you didn't read any of the description and you don't know who's doing this podcast because it's been the same two people for 66 episodes now. We're doing 67 today. I want to get that out of the way and make sure everybody knows who we are and what this is. Hi. Hello. So let me explain what Carrier's Edge is all about. Oh, just stop it. This is going to be you an really interesting one. You really freaking annoy me sometimes. You really do. There we go. Okay, now we're ready. I know. Do you just want to goad me until I make some snide remark about you? Is that yeah, what you because then you're in the zone. <laughs> That's when we're in the zone. All righty then. And this is going to be an interesting one because we don't really we're have very, any sort tired. of agenda uh, for this one. And usually that's okay because I'll just say something and Jane will go off on a tangent. But I don't think I don't think uh, it's going to go the same way today. So it could be a very short episode. We'll see. I had a, a big gap in my sleep last night where there were two hours that apparently my body thought I should be awake. Oh, that sucks. It did suck. You didn't care at the time, but. Yeah, I was not that concerned at the time. But now in public, I'm Now I'm you're very concerned. Yeah, no, I hate, I hate it when that happens. Every once in a while it happens. And it could be that it was because the OTA, the annual OTA convention was the day before. So it may have been that I drank too much mm. or I drank a little bit. Yeah could have been that or it could be a lot of other things or it and could be yeah so that's a good time of year well it's a good uh, thing to start with because i thought it was a good segue yes very good so yeah. the annual convention of the ontario trucking association was yesterday and as they pointed out they can't really call it annual because they had to skip last year but uh, they want to get back to annual and it's normally a big event I feel uh, like locally you can't just i think everybody can just skip 2020 yeah I, that one doesn't really count. just like, let's just all... Yeah, intended to be annual, and you just had to pause there. But yeah, it was a pause. It wasn't was, a break. It was. We were on a pause. <laughs> there we go. And she's back. Yeah. 2020 was just a great pause. It, it was okay. a good pause. So this was our first, or one of the first major events locally. Well, this was probably the largest local event in the industry since the pandemic started. So it was really nice yeah. to get out and see... Uh, see people, even though it was a smaller crowd that was there. Uh, they found out, I think, two weeks before the thing happened that they could have increased the capacity. They could have gone to a higher capacity, but by that point, it was too late. You know, there's too much planning that goes into it. Uh, so they stayed with a lower crowd, lower capacity crowd, which was uh, kind of nice. So I didn't get to see all the people that I normally see there, but I did get to see a bunch, many of whom I have not seen since the thing started. So it was kind of, it sort of felt like, you know, going back to summer camp where it's like, oh yeah, I haven't seen you since last year. Oh, look at your beard. You're taller. And you know, all of that kind well, of thing. Well, everybody had it, yeah. the, the main event. When was, you go to summer camp, 
everybody is taller the next year. Yeah. But here it's like, what crazy beard did you grow? Or, you know, look how long your hair is, which is what people and said that's to me. What, yeah. yeah. So nobody if, else got that. If nobody has seen you uh, get ready for about three inches, four inches of hair. Yeah, I've got the full hippie going now. That, yeah. Well, it's because of me. I told you to stop getting it. Like pretty much in 2020, when your hair started growing out and you were getting annoyed with it, I, I told you to let it grow. And I'm past the annoyance part now. Mm-hmm. And you I'm don't need a barrette. Part that's uh, yeah, that's easier to manage. So it uh, it was the subject of several wisecracks, as I expected. And I was kind of looking forward to it because the people that are going to make those cracks are people that I know well enough to kind of expect it from them, and I almost want that. But that means I'm seeing them, and I hadn't seen them in a while. It's like yeah. I'm craving the ridicule. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, my hair has grown place. too, and I didn't get any. Uh, I didn't get any cracks. Yeah, but I'm, you know, mine's just regular growing hair, mm-hmm. not like yours, where you are. Well, when a guy goes from being a short hair to a long hair, yeah, that's a very noticeable transition. Yeah, and you wear it well. Yeah, so we I had like a good time it. there. We had a very, very good time at a shortened uh, convention, and uh, did go to some sessions. There wasn't uh, as many sessions as there normally are and we didn't get to all of them but it was good the ones that we were at and they do a very nice event it looks great regardless of how many people are there they put on an event that looks fantastic mm-hmm. so you can definitely see where they're putting the sponsorship dollars to work and that's nice what i find about going to these events now is that you you you're talking you're thinking about how oh, i haven't seen you in ages but yet it seems like it hasn't been that long or that it's just now we're just back in the groove. So mm-hmm. I, you know, you see someone that you haven't seen for two years and I don't know, it it, it doesn't take very long to be familiar with them. Yeah, again. to just get back into that yeah. zone. I don't really, yeah, it's a very strange feeling. And I felt like this at, um, when we were at the TCA convention too, it's okay, I haven't seen you for a while, but... You know, we've been on the same Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. We have e- emailed each other, so it's not like I haven't. It's not like I haven't really encountered you. It's mm-hmm. not like it's not like you know when you really don't see someone. Well, that one's a little different because there's a lot of people there that we only see once or twice a year, anyway. And with this one being a more of a local event, there's people that we will often see you know, several times throughout the year through different events and different times we're together. Sometimes we just get together and have lunch and none of that was really an option. So even some people that don't live that far from us that we haven't seen for a year and a half and it's like, oh, are you still working from home or what are you doing? So it was was good to catch up and it was nice to sort of get back to it a little Mm -hmm. bit. Not fully normal, but start to be a little bit normal. And a week prior to that, I think you were at another event. Yes. You were at the National Recruiting and Retention Symposium. Right. Which uh, I guess was sort of the first real industry event uh, in the area. Uh, so it's the first one I'd been to locally. And I'd, you were yeah, on I don't a panel think, there. Yes. I was doing a panel on uh, recruiting strategies, which is a little weird because, you know, I don't really... I'm not really an expert on recruiting and I don't talk about recruiting all that much, but the conversation was more about it's like how to find the right people and where to find people and how to, um, 
how to expand your your audience, I guess. So, you know, how to kind of find drivers where there weren't any before or where you haven't looked in the, the obvious places. So it was really a discussion about that. And, and it was an interesting panel because, um, oh my gosh, um, the panel was, there were no, there was two women and uh, two men, but the men were uh, men of color. So it was like there was no white men on the panel. And it was kind of an interesting take on the whole on the whole recruiting approach because none of us were talking from the majority position. Mm, we were all talking about, you know, how diversity affects us personally, how it affects um you know, what things might be missing from the general approach, the general strategy, the, the inclusive, like being inclusive in trying to figure out new strategies and, and, and include more voices and that kind of thing. So it was, it was interesting, the panel, just by being itself, like just by us all being there and talking to a group that probably hadn't heard that diverse a group well, it was nice that it wasn't presented as here's the diversity panel or look how no. we've got a panel on diversity and we're putting diverse people on it. It was just a regular panel. Yeah. And it just happened to be a set of diverse voices, which contributing a viewpoint that isn't often heard. So that's really nice. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize at the time. Well, actually, the person, uh, Jeff Topping was from Challenger, was supposed to be moderating it, and he couldn't do it. So he had, oh, I can't remember anybody's names on that panel. Boise. So I think that that was kind of nice that when he stepped in, um, because it it was kind of, we didn't expect the panel to have that makeup, and then it, but then mm. it was. Yeah, nice. So it was, you know, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed speaking on it because we, <laughs> it was funny. This is the first time that I've been able to speak about straight racism in mm. trucking. And it wasn't me starting it. It was it was very cool because you know that I I often have a lot of opinions on things like that. And um someone asked, someone from the audience asked um about, you know, basically saying that there is racism in trucking and how do you handle, like, what do you, what do you think we should do to handle it? And I didn't, I wasn't the first person to answer it. So that was also really That's nice. a very interesting question. It's not, you know, how do you address accusations of racism or anything like that? It starts with the assumption that it, it's there. How do we get rid of it? Yeah. And Leanne, who's nobody's last name I can remember, but she was, she was the one who spoke about it first and she was very blunt and said, yeah, it exists and we have to deal with it. And this is how we do it. And then it got to be a little bit more of a, you know, personal stories from Sud and Boise and me talking about what we see through best fleets. And it was, it was interesting. And there was a couple of Americans there and I think they were, quite surprised because somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you know, we don't do that. Mm. And I said, well, we don't normally do that either, but that yeah. was really good that we did. Yeah. It was a good start. So point. more, more conversations like that, I think would be probably welcome in the industry. I don't think anybody wants to 
I think everybody always, the first, especially if you're white and you're privileged and your first thought is, oh my God, I'm not a racist, you know, I'm trying really hard and and I think I'm okay. And, and it comes out as, you know, well, I'm not racist. So where's the problem? How can we fix the problem elsewhere? And what you really have to do is don't say that and start start thinking, okay, what could be portrayed, like what could be seen as preferential or racism or like, how am I acting towards employees? How many employees do I have that are come from diverse backgrounds? What positions are they in? How can we fix that? Like, how can we move certain people up? Like, how can we give more people voices? Just when you start asking those questions, besides being feeling concerned about how you appear, that's when the conversation is going to be more productive. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I think it's great that the question came up. It's great that the sort of acknowledgement was there. And uh, it's good that you guys had a chance to sort of share thoughts on it, on how to address it and uh, how to approach it. And um, not just go with that instinctive, oh my God, I, I, I'm not one or which is where everybody goes. Like you say, everybody starts with that. Oh my God, I'm not that. Or I don't want to be that. Yeah. And I hope I'm not that. I'm trying not to be that. But also as a business owner, your, your instinct is also often, oh my God, I, I don't want to be employing a bunch of racists. You know, I want them <laughs> the hell out of my company. Uh, but how do you make sure that the subtle stuff doesn't creep in or the uh, unconscious things don't happen? Or the things that are covering. Mm -hmm. So the things that you say that are really kind of sort of sort on the on the border acceptable, but really there's a there's another message. And that often hap happens with um, for want of a better for a better word, uh, sexism where there's a lot of things that are couched in a certain way that you can take that are really annoying to listen to. But if you try and bring it up, it's often met with, oh, it's just joke. Oh, I hate that, <laughs> that phrase. Anytime that someone says, oh, I was just joking. Yeah. I just really want to either do, fire them or punch them in the I, face. Yeah. I just want to slam them in the throat and say, never say that again. You're never just joking. If you, if you have given offense to somebody, then you apologize immediately. Do not go with just joking. Even if you were, you obviously. Well, why are you joking about that? Why is that your go-to for comedy? Well, if it is, and you didn't realize it and you didn't realize you were offen uh, offensive, then like, just stop. Don't, don't give yourself an excuse. Don't. And if just... you're just joking, it's usually obvious that you're joking. People that have to and say covering. that. Well, people that have to say that is because it comes off as a serious comment or as, a, as something that they're not joking about. And then they're like, well, I was just joking. No, you weren't. You suddenly became a joker when you got caught. When you got called out on it, then suddenly it was all a bit of humor. But if we hadn't called you out on it, you would have kept going. You would have kept saying it and used it again in the future. And you would not be joking. One, so that's a line of crap. Yeah, one of the things that I that I said during the the session was that it has to come from the top. Mm -hmm. So the more acceptable it is, so if just joking or phrases like that that try and excuse um, ignorant remarks, if those things are acceptable or even said at the top at the executive level, you have no hope. You can try and and 
point fingers at, oh, this driver is, you know, he's bigoted or he's racist or he said this or he did that. But if you look at your leadership, is it coming like where do you think it's coming from? Is it coming from outside or is it coming from inside? And that's a really big issue to tackle, because if you are not in a position of power, you can't do anything. You really can't. It's um, or if you do as much as you can control, but you also have this, you know, coming from above this, this, you know, constant stream of, you know, things that you do not agree with, then you're in a really untenable position. And often people, that's where people will leave and they won't tell you why. (laughs) They're not going to tell you I'm leaving because I think my boss is racist. They're going to leave because, oh, I wanted a better opportunity. Yeah. Oh, I had a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, it was just time or, you know, people have tons of reasons for why they're leaving. Yeah. That are almost never correct. No. And we we talk to people at on uh, during best fleets about why drivers leave mm-hmm. and i don't think uh, you know local jobs yeah local why jobs is a looking? big one yeah yeah why are they even looking yeah if there's a local <laughs> yeah so i think everybody is aware that nobody is telling the truth about why they leave a job <laughs> yeah and if you really want to know go talk to their friends yeah. And in a driver or non-driver role, it doesn't matter. Go talk to people who are like, why do you think so-and-so left? And then that's a good point. You may, you may or may not get the actual truth, mm-hmm. but um, I know a couple of best fleets in interviews did say that they did that hmm. and they thought they got a lot better information. That's a great idea. Because oh, the yeah. exit interview is always going to give you, you know, it's not going to tell you anything you don't already know. It's going to give you a lot of information that's not reliable. No, nobody's going to say I'm leaving because I hate my dispatcher. And that's going to be news to you. (laughs) Well, they're going to say, yeah, they're not going to come out and say exactly why. Because no, and I think if people really, so give the example of hating your dispatcher, if you really hate your dispatcher, you don't want to talk to anybody about it. If the problem wasn't solved and no one noticed then you hate everyone. Mm-hmm. It's not just the dispatcher. You hate everyone else associated with the dispatcher because no one solved your problem. Yeah. And no one cared. And the company didn't have a process for uncovering those problems and addressing them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so the answer is going to be, well, you know, I got this great opportunity and I'm going to be home more and it pays me the same or better. So I had to take it. Yeah. Or, and then, and then a lot of companies that have their head in the ground you know, burying their heads in the sand and be like, Hey, well, what can we do? You know, people are taking local jobs. Local instead. jobs. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that there's We're in a, a crabby mood on a Friday afternoon. I have been, I don't know if I'm in a crabby mood. I am tired. Um, and I'm really looking forward to sleeping tonight, but I have been kind of reading about, like I've read a really interesting book that, people may or may not think is a um, appropriate or not like the title of let's let's just go with they may not like the title of this book but I read this book and I thought it was really really interesting and it's called semi-queer or semi-queer and it's uh it's by Anne Anne Belay B-A-L-A-Y and I would highly recommend it to people who are looking for we're trying to think about how to attract people to the industry. 
because it's a it's a book about she is a she was a university professor who uh, wasn't getting tenure or couldn't had lost her job or something like that. And she went around and did interviews with um, transgender, lesbian, gay, like all of these drivers who are not basically not straight and sort of the underculture or, you know, what is happening with like what they think about the industry and their job and how they got their training and their experiences on the job and that kind of thing. And it was some very, very interesting perspectives, not just from the LGBTQ community, because she definitely did that. But it was kind of all drivers because she mm. was talking to a lot of, you know, there was a couple of white women that she talked to um, who were drivers and their experience of what is downloaded to them, what mm. they have to deal with. And we all often talk about what the what drivers have to deal with because the companies won't. And this whole difficulties at the dock, difficulties um, finding a place to sleep. Uh, just difficulties in in what's happening on during their job, and it was pretty much all truckers. It wasn't it wasn't just that group. It really was a good look at how difficult it is to juggle hours of service, no parking, um, shippers being really horrible to you, your dispatcher being very. Um, you know, cut and dried, like you have to do this. Even when, like talking about people who are having emergencies, like having bleeding, like outright bleed, like medical emergencies. And the, the dispatcher is really only concerned about getting the load somewhere, hmm. not about the actual driver. So drivers tend to not tell companies about their medical issues. Ooh. Yeah. And so they get sick and they get, and basically driving is not very good for your long-term health. That's interesting because we have a lot of questions on the Best Fleets questionnaire that are about policies and how you handle different things. And a lot of the response we get from people, almost the default response is, well, we haven't heard about any issues. We haven't heard about any problems. But what you're saying is, you know, there's this whole culture that makes it, um, difficult for them to talk about those things mm-hmm. and sort of very subtly suggests that they should keep their mouth shut about all of that stuff. That there's Absolutely. no benefit to them saying anything. There's no benefit to them complaining about the shipper. There's no benefit to them sharing their medical distress or anything like that. Every bit of input they get is that the company doesn't want to hear about it. Therefore, keep it to yourself. So, and that they're going to lose their job. You lose your job, or you're not going to get the good deliveries. You're going to be flagged as a problem, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and that's really sort of a cultural thing that is going to create a whole environment of people not saying anything. And then the companies are going to be like, hey, we haven't heard about any problems, which we do see. And of course, the companies that have that response, that have that sort of reactive, wait and see approach, they never do well in the best fleets program. The people that do well, that make it onto the list are always the ones that go out there and explore it themselves and will have ways of talking to drivers and finding out about those things. And then they demonstrate that they take it seriously by doing something about it. So they fire those companies, those customers, they stop going to those shippers, 
they make changes to other programs, they show that that feedback is warranted. And then as a result, they keep getting more and more of it. But it ends up, I think, being this, um, this situation where you've got the good ones that do more and more of that input collection and change and that continuous improvement. And you've got the other side of that where they just keep giving the subtle message of don't say anything. And then the drivers don't say anything. And then it just keeps getting worse and worse. And they sort of spiral down into higher turnover and more problems and all of these other issues that come up. So you end up with sort of a wider gulf between the good companies and, for want of a better word, the bad companies. And there seems to be a general consensus that the larger the company, the worse it is, which... We don't really see that, but well, then we, we don't, don't see that many of the really large companies. Yeah, the mega carriers were the real issue. And they and in the book, she doesn't talk about them by name or anything like that, but there's only a few, so you kind of know who mm-hmm. they are. And it, it, it makes me kind of sad that it, at the same time that people are talking about, we need truck drivers, we need drivers, we need drivers, and the message of, you know, driver, drivers are the backbone of everything. If you got it, a truck brought it, you know, we move America forward. Like all of these slogans don't take into account that there are people like there are drivers who are not telling their companies that they have COVID and they're dying on the road. Yeah. Well, a lot of those slogans really are impersonal. It's, yes. you know, if you got it, a truck brought it, you know, trucking moves America forward. No, it's not some hunk of metal that's doing that. It's the person who's operating it. The truck is just, it's just a big hammer, really. It's yeah, just a tool exactly. to perform a task. So, the more people sort of realize that and move away from thinking about it in terms of trucks and more in terms of thinking about the people, you know, you've got this army of, uh, of drivers that all have to use a tool. Okay. Well, that's like saying the consulting industry is the laptop industry because every <laughs> consultant has a laptop. Well, so what, you know, the laptop's useless without the consultant who knows how to use it. Exactly. And Drivers are, you know, the whole idea that you're supposed to, like in the, in North America, the 40 hour work week is acceptable. Like that's the generally accepted mm-hmm. length of time that you work, except for truck drivers. They're yeah. like the only group of people who are expected to work like some sort of, what is it? Oh, I can't remember the hours. 60 hours so, yeah. Like- 60 hour work week. And if you're lucky, you get, well, at the base, you get a 34-hour weekend. Yeah. Like that, that is supposedly normal. So I don't understand how trucking can really like tear their hair out about how we don't have, we're short this many people and then say, but we're not going to make your working conditions any better. No, we're actually going to lobby to make the work week longer. And more restrictive so that, you know, and they, it, there seems to be a resistance to making shippers responsible for anything. Like, I think there should be regulations oh, for yeah. shippers that if you, you are not allowed to keep someone at a dock outside of their hours or you have to provide a, you know, some sort of spot for them to rest. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that's out of line. I don't think that's a crazy idea. But why, why isn't anybody regulating sh- Walmart? Yeah, I'll be curious to see as we get into the interviews farther this year, 
if any of that is happening, because it's definitely a market right now where it's in favor of the trucking companies. There's not enough drivers. There's a backlog of things to be delivered. So the shippers have got to treat people better. Yeah. And they do that. Like in the ebb and flow of, you know, trucking's got the power, shippers have got the power. Yeah, that's the problem. They're always going back and forth and they never take advantage the industry never takes advantage of when they have the power because they're so busy well, they just do. doing it on an individual they level. They take advantage of it for a rate increase. That's always the thing that they jump to first is we're able to get some rate increases. Well, okay, but it's still a crap environment for your driver. Mm-hmm. It's still miserable for your driver. There should be, the law should be, if someone is coming onto your property to do work, then they should have access to your facilities. Yeah. You know, you are, even if you are a... If there is some sort of contract to do some sort of business where you're coming on to pick up a load or drop off a load, you're considered, you know, you should have the same basic rights as an employee of that company. Mm-hmm. If somebody is coming in to do work for us, even if they, they were doing it on contract, they were still given the same so basic human rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people aren't allowed to use the bathroom or that they, you know, that they're not allowed to, you know, park somewhere and sleep. Or subjected to harassment and like bullying. Exactly. All of that kind of stuff. And that was part of the book where they were talking about the harassment that people get when they are non, when they're sort of on this spectrum of uh, the LGBTQ spectrum, then they are subject to a lot of harassment on the road. That harassment can be um, in shippers, like specifically at shippers and also uh, enforcement. Mm. So enforcement. And I've heard a lot of stories in the last year about how enforcement will take advantage of women. Mm. And, you know, you've got a woman alone and that woman is looking to you to, you know, either she can leave the way station or she can't. Mm. So there's there's a power play there. And I had never even thought about it. I didn't think enforcement would play those kinds, but I've heard it. I've heard a couple of nasty stories Yikes. of people getting followed home. Like they have your address. E. They know where you live. That's nasty. Like, yeah. Enforcement has their home address. Yeah. Hmm. It's on their CDL. Oh, right. Okay. So they're, you know, it, it, that's a huge power issue. Yeah. You always assume that enforcement are going to be the ones that are modeling the appropriate behavior. Yeah. And when, uh, well, we were doing a, we're doing a sexual harassment course. So I wanted to get some stories. So I've been asking around for, you know, anybody share their, I thought it was going to be like catcalling and, um, you know, just kind of like coworker type stuff. Yeah. Mm. But two stories of enforcement, major, major harassment. And I was kind of like, holy crap. And, you know, what do you do? What, and I know that I know what you do, like, but I don't think that even occurs to anybody in the, you know, the best fleets or whatever, that that would actually happen. But it does. Wow. Because it's it happened and it, it's a bit depressing. And and I kind of been fixated on this for the last six months or so. Um, but it's a much bigger problem than the industry will admit Mm -hmm. 
And I really think that if they want to attract people, especially at the driver level, because being a driver is not an easy thing. Your health suffers. If you are somewhat different, if you if you're a woman or if you're you know, a member of the LGBTQ community, you are you go out on the road, you go out to these shipping docks that are in the middle of nowhere and you are trapped. Yeah. So and there's no protection, like nobody has any protection for them. Yeah. There's no like the companies don't, you know, we ask people, you know, what's the self-defense? Do you have any self-defense programs? No. Hmm. You know, defensive driving, that's it. Yeah. So basically, a lot of people lock themselves in the cab. Yeah, and I totally see why they do. Because it's too dangerous to come out. Well, and especially like discovering as we have that each truck has, or there's so many trucks that are opened by the same key. Like, oh, So yeah. there may be people that, you know, there may be 20 people that have the, the key to your truck. Like, yeah, of course you're scared and, and unsettled. How does anybody get rest sleeping overnight in a truck stop knowing that? Like, I see why they get these contraptions that basically barricade the doors from the inside. I would. The other um, problematic issue is training. Yeah. And driving with a trainer and possibly being either assaulted or forced out of the truck, Mm -hmm. which I had never heard of, but... um, but apparently there's sexual assault, there's physical assaults going on when, you know, there's two people driving down the road and nobody's really checking on them and nobody is, nobody, you know, there's power plays where one person will take the other person's cell phone away from them and not give them the option to, or not let them go to the bathroom. There's a huge thing about bathrooms. I cannot believe how restrictive it is to go to the bathroom when you are a truck driver. Yeah. It is insane. I would, I would probably have, I, I don't think I would last just for that. Like that would just be it. I don't think I could do it. You know, just the, the inability to go to the bathroom either. There's nowhere to go to the bathroom where you're not allowed to go to the bathroom. Not allowed. And that would kill me because, you know, I go to the bathroom every five minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's nuts. And so you have women who are having urinary tract problems because of that, because they're holding in, holding it in too much. And you actually have physical problems because of that. It's very dangerous for women to do that. But no, I don't think anybody's really thought of that. Hmm. But you can get toilets for like, like actual toilets that go in the cab. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are some companies who won't let you. Yeah, well, then you still have to pull over somewhere to be able to use it. No, if you're team driving, I don't think they, well, it doesn't matter. At least there is one. Yeah. Yeah. But you would think that truck stops would be the place to go and and do that. But if they're not frequent enough or you're not on routes where they're available, there could be issues for sure. Or if it's a dangerous place to go. Yeah. If you are, you know, if you're a, a marginalized group who doesn't have the same access or the same privilege to just walk around mm-hmm. um, and you don't want to go there or you're transgender and there's a lot more transgender drivers. So, so many in the trucking industry is not really talking about it, hmm. but there are many, many, many transgender uh, individuals on the road 
they do it because they are like because of the isolation that they don't have to deal with the public. Mm-hmm. And so that actually works for them. But then you get the bathroom problem. Yeah. So North Carolina. Yeah. What are you doing? And mm-hmm. it's that's a real issue. Which so I apologize because I did not realize I was going to talk about this book. <laughs> that's okay. We let into it from some other things. It's my book and report. Yes. Well, and that does sort of tie into uh, one of the new things that you've just finished and put out, which is uh, an incident response course. Mm-hmm. So when there are problems, so the companies that are trying to deal with these issues and, and make people comfortable about reporting things, whether it's harassment or any other sort of unacceptable behavior, what do you do about it? So you've got a new course on incident response. I, well, it's only, it's a Canadian course because there's Canadian regulations around incident response. So how you are supposed to respond to um, a report. So this isn't for the U.S. because there's no, these regulations don't apply. However, I mean, if somebody wanted to use it in the U.S., it's a really good recipe. Is there, is there an equivalent OSHA requirement? No. Oh, so they have the whistleblower protection and they have harassment and violence reporting options, but there's no guidelines on what people should do when something is reported. Actually, whistleblowing is, it doesn't have to, whistleblowing is only, that's about when the company's doing something that is, well, it can happen if you report an incident of harassment and violence and the company tries to shut you down, you can, then mm-hmm. you have the option to be a whistleblower. Or if the company is saying, you know, violate the hours of service, here's how you right. do it and all that, then you can whistleblow. But there isn't a, there really isn't a federal harassment, violence and harassment law the way it Well, we do have a violence and harassment course. Right. But and But that's have, kind of general. And but there isn't a requirement for management to handle uh, reports in a particular way. No. So maybe we can make a more generic version of this one and, and make it available as best practice. I would like to. The thing is, <laughs> it's very, the weird thing about it is in, in Canada, it's very prescribed. So, and I think I could probably, yeah, we could probably do it, but there's, and there's, ver- there's roles in mm. Canada. So there's something called a designated recipient. And the designated recipient is the person who will receive a complaint. So that's usually HR or driver services or like that's that's who it will be. But it's generally it's either an individual or a department. And that's the designated recipient. Then you have the oh, I can't remember the names of the principal party. The principal party is the person who has the complaint. So the principal party reports a notice of occurrence to the designated recipient. (laughs) And then the person who the complaint is made against is the responding party. So you have the principal party, the responding party, and the designated recipient. So this is obviously written by lawyers. It is definitely lawmaking. Now the process... Like, that's just words that you use to, you know, it's it's person A, person B, person C. And it's what has to happen. So the person who, the, the victim, like for want of a better word, the victim and the principal party, it makes a complaint, then the HR person has to do a certain number of things. And they can, 
They can go, they can do things a number of different ways based on what the victim wants to do. And then they can, depending on the way they get the, the other party involved or the, the other party, the accused. And um, then you go from there. If you need an investigation, you get an investigation. And so it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. And there is a process. So you could, I could generalize it. Yeah, if, um, but what we had to do was for Canada, we had to actually do it according to the regulations right. for Canada. And generally, when we have that happen, when there are a lot of regulations in Canada and not really any regulations in the States, we'll gener- genericize it. So we'll probably do that in the future. It's kind of like a little bit like what you had done with drug and alcohol, where there's very specific the opposite, yeah. regulations in the U.S. and, and really nothing uh, as hard-coded here. So um, you made kind of a generic version of the reasonable suspicion or the drug and alcohol awareness stuff. So if you're driving into the U.S., then you have to follow the U.S. Right. rules. And most of the time, that's what companies do when they drive into the U.S., we haven't released it yet, but we have one that's going to come out, which is the Canadian version of drug and alcohol, where we have the the um, overview, which talks about drugs and alcohol. And then we have a reasonable suspicion one, which it, it takes out all the regulatory stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually, that one, that one is easier to a certain extent. A lot of the problem in Canada is privacy, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of... Those kind of issues around or, or human rights issues around testing people, especially with random and things like that. So you have to have a lot of policies and stuff if you want to have that kind of testing in the States. Obviously, you don't. And so it's kind of the opposite with um, harassment, violence and harassment reporting, that kind of that kind of thing. But we were asked by one of our longtime customers to do it. So we did it. Mm-hmm. And actually... I really love this course and it sounds like the most horrendously boring topic. And it, 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 it is <laughs> it's really just about paperwork. Well, but well, there's people that love that. You know, every topic is boring to some people and fascinating to others. True. But we have um, Rachel, one of our graphic designers, really did a good job of illustrating it. And I love the illustration, what she's done with it, because she's, She's used um, caricature, well, not caricatures, the sort of cartoony type characters, but they're they're done in a certain style. So it kind of it kind of draws your eye to it and it makes it a little bit more interesting to look at rather than just lists of things that you have to do. So it's it's really beautiful. I really think is one of our more beautiful courses. If you can Mm. if you can say that about a course course on responding to harassment claims. Yes. Yeah. That's what we go for with a course on harassment. Is beauty? It's beautiful. Yeah. Hey, I and also I'm really looking forward to defensive driving because Berenice, who's our other um, graphic designer who specializes in, in 3D, she's been doing some really good work on uh, creating, recreating some of our animations for defensive driving. And uh, yeah, I've been working with her on that because. The headaches of trying to animate a truck backing into a spot <laughs> and turning. So I think we've talked about this before, but probably, but it, it's an unending yeah, headache. So we had some that were done before. We had another animator do, and those are decent as a starting point, but they're not even quite right. And it's very 
simple problem that the animation often defies the laws of physics. So it's very easy to have a truck slide sideways. And of course it can't do that. So you have to animate when it's backing, when you're doing like S backing or parallel parking or those kind of things, offset backing, uh, it's very difficult to have the wheels turn the right way and then have the tractor roll appropriately and then have the trailer turn exactly the right way. Uh, so we've been going back and forth on that quite a bit. And sometimes it's easier to run the animation backwards. So the truck is actually moving forward and then you can see it. Sometimes you've got to have all these guide curves and things to show you the position and the, the path. But yeah, it's a real headache. It's getting close. So I've got some that are waiting for me to review now, uh, but uh, it's been a it's been a trick uh, getting it done. Now, once the path is done, and you have everything moving the right way at the right time, then you can do some really fun stuff with the camera placement and camera mm-hmm. movements and things like that. So you can have the camera in the driver's seat. You can have it above. You have a top-down view. You can have it under the wheels if you wanted. So all of that is the fun stuff that you can do after the hard work of the actual motion is figured out. So And the correct motion as well. Yes, the correct motion. So that's coming. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to be nice. Um, I think you seem to suggest a couple of days ago that that storyboard is actually getting pretty close to being done. So that course, after many years of stop and start uh, progress on it, we could finally be at that point where we're ready to release it soon, right? Well... Or in the next the words, couple of months. The words are done. The images are not. Right. So it will basically be how quickly the graphics can get done. And I think, yeah, we're on the we're on the other side of the hump now. We um so the the course is now six topics instead of seven. And um we've added a bunch more in there. Hmm. So each topic is a bit longer. But it was like a 200-page storyboard. It was a 200-page storyboard, yeah. That There's must have been a fun lot. to review. It's not, no. <laughs> it was not. And you know, I think part of it was that I've reviewed the similar content and I've written and read about this content for so long that it was really hard to stay focused. It was like I would do anything else. So, you know, is there a bathroom to clean? Like, do we have any dishes that need doing? Like, is the, you know, can I clean the floor? Anything but. So it just took me forever to do it because I couldn't stay focused on it. But we've added things like um, animal strikes, like avoiding that. We've added in um, visual search properly. Uh, it's just been a lot of improvements mm, nice. on that. Good. So Well, and it's another case of we have to just keep refreshing all of the existing library, mm-hmm. even if the in the fundamentals haven't changed, but you have to keep revisiting it yeah. to keep it fresh so that there's something new for people to go through. And what Tiffany's done, the, the uh, my main writer on this course is she's created four characters who are each representing a, um, one of the elements that you always have to be aware of. So there's one character for the legal part of it, one character for the environmental part of it, one character for the human, you know, the the human response part of it, and human, legal, environmental, mechanical, and mechanical. Yeah. yeah. 
So those are the four main things that each have an effect on your trip. So mm -hmm. basically before you get in the truck, getting in the truck, loading, unloading. Um, so as you go through, and so she's got this, um, a mission that these people, these different characters are going to help you go through. So there's a little bit of comic book in there mm. and it's a little bit, um, a little bit more interesting to, like I said, interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. And because people who are going through this course will have seen a lot of defensive driving yeah, in their Everybody time. going through this course has a CDL. They've taken a defensive driving course at some point. So now this They've is a little bit, or something, yeah, so we so have to do something fresh. It's a little bit of a different take. And the, and Rachel did the drawings for the characters. So they're, they're really, it's going to be really gorgeous, like nice. way better than anything I could have done on my own. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I feel well, spoiled having my graphic designers. Good. Well, that's what they're here to do. Mm. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I do have to, before we... Uh, end this, do a shout out to our audience around the world in Vietnam. We have <laughs> listeners all around the world. We have we discovered. Do. We have. So we have a shout out to uh, the Vietnamese audience. And uh, yeah, if they've listened this far. If uh, they have, they may they, not have. They may listen for five minutes and then smarten up and can't hold us. <laughs> Get rid of us. But anyway, that is it for this episode. So thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Thank you.